Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. And once again, I think for the sixth time, maybe the eighth time, we have Dr. Jory Bachnick on from Toronto. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jory. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, it's great to have you. Did you see, I don't, last, maybe it was a week or two ago, in the second part of the Triple Crown, the uh, Preakness race. Did you see that one? I did not. I did not. Tell me what happened. Well, the incredible part was that a rider got thrown right at the beginning But to me, anyway, this is what was incredible. As someone who likes animal behavior, his horse ran the entire race. (laughs) I was just like, you, you are amazing. That is, wow, what a trained horse. I've seen stuff like this before. I used to uh, teach riding at a stable where the, the head of the stable could command her horse to take part with no rider in an exercise. Like we'd be doing figure eights with the kids or something. And her horse would be one of the horses with no rider taking a position. I mean, horses are not as dumb as people think, are they? No. And that's some pretty wicked training going into the into that horse <laughs> that could do figure eights without a rider on. I'm impressed. Oh, yeah, because it's in formation, right? Like the first, the first it's like you it's two lines that cross each other. Now he well, would not her horse would not be the leader. It would be second in line. But like one horse goes right, one horse goes left, one horse goes right. Like it wasn't even easy for me. And I was trying to teach it, you know, and the kids, well, it wasn't easy for them either. But her horse just flew through it. It was unbelievable. Yeah, and his name was Pretty Boy, of course. Of course. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You get what you put in, that's for sure with animals. But that's why horses make such amazing therapy animals. Come on. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot to that. It's the big motion and the strength and the calmness and so much touching to carry for a horse. And the acceptance and no judgment. Come on. They're pretty unique in and of themselves. They do have memory, though. I think sometimes people like to pretend animals are not smart, especially large animals, farm animals, animals we like to eat, you know? Well, it's, a, well, it's like one of my kids says when his older brother will tease him that his Labrador may not be the brightest apple in the barrel, he'll go, Winston's not dumb. He's just smart in a different way. Oh, well, it's true. <laughs> it's, it's very true. true. It I is true. Ha- I was having this conversation with a beagle owner the other day. She said he's just dumb as a bag of nails. And I said, well, think about it. If you put him in a yard, he's never been to. And there's one hole in the fence somewhere. It might not even be a big one. It might be a tiny one, really hard to find. And he smells something on the other side of the fence, like maybe a squirrel. How long will it take him to get out? She's like, oh, he'd be gone. And I'm like, that's not a stupid dog. He just has different goals than you. (laughs) Exactly. It's how to harness the goal power. (laughs) Make him want to work for you. Make you, you have to be the squirrel. And that's very hard for most people. (laughs) And with cats, you have to be their prey mate, right? You can't just play with them. You have to let them kind of mock battle you oh, That's for sure you play yeah. with cat. so okay so i wanted to ask you about the blood donor situation because years and years ago i used to take a couple of dogs every once in a while healthy young dogs big dogs and they would sort of uh, volunteer with quotes around it and they'd go to a vet clinic and they'd donate blood and when i worked at a vet clinic there was uh usually a couple 
who would be rescued from some shelter somewhere with great disposition, totally healthy, strong dogs, and they'd be kept at the vet clinic for a few weeks to donate blood, and then they'd be found a wonderful home. And this is how we kind of did it. But now I had a dog need blood in September, and oh my goodness, the hoops we had to jump through. $800 for one blood transfusion, $200 for the test to determine what kind of blood type she was, and all of this had to be done at a super expensive emergency clinic, the only one that does this here. Then I find out on Vancouver Island, they don't even have blood there. So what's going on? Well, I think what we're seeing is a movement away from how we used to, what I would call practical medicine to a bit more, it's a bit more specialized, mirroring more of the human side. And that what I'm seeing now with younger grads is where, what I think what you're talking about is we used to keep animals on board because in most dogs, the first transfusion, we, say, we always say the first transfusion is free because dogs do have blood types, similar but not identical to humans. But in the way that the, one of the ways they differ from us is their immune systems generally do not react negatively to the first transfusion. And mm-hmm. so we would keep some of these animals in on an as-needed basis. Or that's why I always kept at least one big dog because my wolfhound right. was a fantastic mm-hmm. donor. Yeah. And you say- <laughs> Got you say a lot to least, give, Mr. 200 you, plus. You know, or I used to keep, have friends with a couple big cats with that were yeah. pretty nice, big orange toms that right. could donate some blood. But- we now know that the best way to do a transfusion is to type them, cross them, match them. Well, the problem now is there's a shelf life on this blood and you could go months and months and not using it and then it expires. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of cost involved in collecting, maintaining. You also want to make sure that the dogs you're using as your donors are healthy, vaccinated, don't have any particular issues at any particular time. So we've gotten away from where the vet would have the big dog who's the donor to you've got to have almost these colonies of dogs who are specifically only donors. So now you're going to keep those colonies. The blood has to be collected in a particular way. The blood has to be stored in a particular way. So if you want the best medicine, most Mm -hmm. clinics are like looking at that going, that's just, we can't do that. But if we don't practice that way, then are we practicing bad medicine? You know, and that's where you need to have this your veterinarian. This was such a situation. I cannot get over what this clinic does. They they have a program where you enroll as a to be a donor dog, and if you enroll, you must buy the most expensive food from them. You must. Uh, come for regular checks. I mean, the, it's so onerous. It's like becoming a guide dog foster. I mean, you're there all the time. And it mm-hmm. just really seemed to me to be, to, I don't know, there was something consumerish and not okay well, with me. And the, way, and, the way I, and the way I look at it is there's, the, there's what I call good practical medicine. And then there is how a university would prefer you to do it in a world where the only way that's feasible is how are you going to be able to pay for it? And mm-hmm. to find someone who practices what I call practical medicine that way, I think you have to, the only way that happens is you have to have someone who's been out long enough, who is comfortable enough and experienced enough to say, yeah, you know what, if you've come in and your dog's ruptured its spleen because it was hit by a car, I don't keep banked blood because it's, it, it goes, you can only keep it for so long. And generally these emergencies happen late at night and nobody's open. Well, yeah. I have a Labrador. Who's going to be donating blood that night? You know, whereas you might find. And that's what I should have. Yeah, I should have chopped it around maybe. But but it was a desperate situation. Exactly. So you're stuck to where you're stuck. But I mean, 
a lot of the newer grads. And you know what their reluctance was? Because I have other dogs and I was volunteering them, right? I was saying, look, I'll bring them all. You can test sure. them all. <laughs> and, and you can, you know, and they're big and they're healthy and they're some of the, one of them is her daughter. Like, come on, let's, let's do this, you know? But they didn't want two patients was the idea. And I'm thinking, that's not a patient. Someone donating blood is, I guess, technically a patient. But, well, but I yeah, mean, I mean, from where they're coming from, if you're bringing a second dog into the clinic, they've got to examine it first. They have to make sure it's healthy. They have to have a file. They're going to be poking it with a needle. Blah 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 blah. It's, it's not. But you're, uh, okay, you know, yeah. And the, you're the, you're right. Well, it was the middle of the, the emerge, night. But that's the emerge <laughs> clinic setting, and that's one of the things that my partners and mm. I have found is the specialty clinics have a very good role. You've, they've got lots more education, and they've built these fantastic hospitals. With the most cutting edge technology that they have available. But that is not always affordable to every person. And so, what other veterinarians have done is over the course of their careers of 10, 20, 30 years, has developed special interests in certain areas. Do we have the same education? No. Are we board certified? No. But if I've done 5,000 corneal surgeries, I feel pretty comfortable about doing that. Do we charge mm-hmm. the same as some of the specialty clinics? No. You know, so we are, yeah. well, you're finding vet clinics now become alternatives to some of the specialty clinics where if the option is to not do it, then here's something else that well, can be offered. It. And yes. it's not necessarily as a poor cousin as it may get spelled out to be. Like if your dog's been smashed by a car and if you're looking at $12,000 versus six for very similar treatment and you can't afford 12, now you have an option versus no option. And the only other option, if you couldn't afford it, would have been humane euthanasia. Yes. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. That's It's wonderful that you give them that option. Okay. So that was pretty heavy. I don't like heavy topics. I like happy dogs. That's why I don't work in vet med. I work with puppy born and happy, let's do, happy. Let's do happy dogs. We'll talk about, a happy, let's talk about happy hotspots. We wanted to talk about that because we're now. Oh, just- yes. Okay. But but we are going to have to go to break soon. So we'll talk about hotspots and then we'll go to the break. Hotspots are like this weird thing. The first time somebody's dog gets it, they call me and they're just like, I don't know what's wrong with him. It's disgusting. That's usually the word they use. It's hot and it's oozy and it's gross and it's growing. And yeah, you got a hot spot, right? Sounds like it. (laughs) So how, okay. So I've heard various things. It's an autoimmune thing. I've heard that it's a fungus. What do you think it is? Or do we know what it is now? Hotspot is just a term for a single focus of moist infection that's irritating, causing the dog to go at it. What are the causes? You've already mentioned a couple. There are lists of them. But let's talk about common things. Please, please, please. And hot weather and stink soaking wet and dirty with pond water. These are things that make hot spots happy. If you get it, but it's a (laughs) pond water combined with a little scratch from a tree branch and then the pond water gets and they lick it and they chew it and they create this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not. And I it, start, not, it can start off the size of a dime and be the size of an orange in an afternoon. And they scratch at it. So every time yeah. they scratch their dirty little fingers and their claws, they spread it around. And then exactly. it's and it, it's almost they get fever. Like it's really bad. It's not just a pimple. This well, is a. A big it, deal. It's a, it's a small thing that they turn into a big thing. It's not mm-hmm. that the spot in and of itself is getting bigger; is that the animal is making it bigger through trauma. They're just damaging themselves. So if you've got a a flea bite sensitive dog, you get a flea bite that you the first time you notice it's because the dog's been chewing. You got a quarter sized lesion, and then you think, well, we'll just watch it, and then you come back two hours later. Now it's the size of a football. It's not that the yeah. lesion in and of itself, the underlying cause, got bigger. It's the dog so irritated it can't stop tearing itself apart. 
So right away, stick a cone on it right away. So what you want to do is yeah, stop the self trauma. Step one, stop the trauma. And already so you're now going to collar. Cone yeah. collar. And they make nice ones, guys. You don't have to have that gigantic, can't see through, rigid, hard, cuts into the skin collar. They have so many different ones now. There's blow up ones and there's see through ones and there's cloth ones. And so, I mean, you don't have to feel guilty putting your dog in a cone anymore. You don't have to feel guilty unless all the nice, pretty, soft ones don't do the job. Don't work. And then yes. you gotta if go you to have, the, Then you gotta yeah. go to it. If you have a yoga dog that contorts itself and reaches the spot, no matter what you do, then you need to get one of those big rigid coats. That's true. That's good. Yep. Good qualifier. Step there. one. Okay, stop the and drop. then what? And step then two, what? Though? Clean. Just mm. clean. And okay. honestly, at the first step, regular soap and water. Soap and water is a good cleaning agent. Everybody's got it. It's cheap. It's almost free for the most part. Just clean it. Don't throw alcohol on it because you're never mm-hmm. going to be allowed to touch that spot again because it hurts. Yeah. But regular soap and water is not traumatic to the skin. It's not traumatic to healthy tissue. And it can take all the dirty, cruddy stuff away. And then you can actually see what the problem is. You may see something stuck in there. You may see that there's a bigger wound than you thought there was and off to the vet you need to go. But Probably just- you have to look at the hair all around it too. I notice people coming in and showing me a hot spot that they think is a quarter, but it's actually, you know, 10 inches and the oh, fur sure. just hasn't once come we, off once we, yet. Yeah. Once we start shaving, you're, you're, often they're like shocked. You turn them into Franken dog because like, they never realize <laughs> how it's like wide half it has their become. body. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you but do what, have to shave, right? You can't clean it when it's a mass of hair. You can't just wash with the hair over top the hot spots. Generally, no. Some of the some of these really clamp, fine coated dogs. Maybe, uh, yeah. Stay away from please, please, please tell your people no scissors because right. scissors create beautiful wounds, beautiful, nice, round, large yeah. wounds. They have to suture, but just keeping it clean. And you know, some of the fine coated dogs like Dals or Boxers, you actually don't even need to shave that much, really. Right. Okay. But keeping it clean, okay. stopping the trauma, and then depending on where you are, like what happens if you're on a camping trip. Or what up, you know, or on a canoe trip or you're at the cottage and there's nowhere around you, then putting something on to help fight infection. And it's not that it was an infection that started, but because they've damaged their skin, the normal bacteria, which is present in their skin, becomes pathologic because it has all this nasty food to eat. And so they start to overgrow. So what are some of the things that you can do that are helpful to fight bacteria? And one of the simple things that a lot of people have, or you can get at a grocery store, is vinegar and you can dilute it out 50 50 and it's an excellent antibacterial it's not that stingy okay i'm gonna just add to that i use on my hotspot dogs the dogs who come here camp good dog i use apple cider vinegar which i find they don't hate it as much i don't know why they don't hate it as much because most animals really don't like the smell of vinegar they'll start sneezing right away and it's something i use to deter cats from urinating and destroying things because they hate the smell so much they'll avoid an area if it smells of vinegar. But I just dab a little bit of apple cider vinegar onto the spot. So I think vinegar is a great, great suggestion. It's excellent. It's also a nice astringent. It helps dry it up. Then after that, it's just keep it clean and don't let them go swimming again. And a lot of the times, if it was a wound or a scratch, just repeated cleaning, a little bit of that astringent and no trauma, and it'll get better. Once the hot spot dries up and it's almost healed, I start putting uh, coconut oil on it. And the dogs really appreciate that. They love the taste. They love the smell. They love the feel of it. And I know you're thinking, oh, no, they're licking it. No, no. They still got their cone, right? They still got their cone. They're not licking the wound. But I'll let them lick the 
You know, yeah. like that, it makes I'm it heal big, up so uh, fast. You know, coconut oil is another new thing. I can't tell you how many dogs I come in greasy with the volume oh. of coconut oil being smeared all over them. Really? You know, oh, okay. Well, that's not how I'm using it, no, but okay. There, there's a, there could be an appropriate use for it. I just see, well, <laughs> oh, I've heard that you read it on Google that someone out in Midwest somewhere said it was good. So they put like a liter on the Lassa Apso. Oh yeah. No, no, no. But you can't even okay. hold it. It's so drippy. So <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So we'll, we'll skip the coconut oil, but I do use it for my dogs, especially when they have dry skin issues. And after the vinegar treatment for a while, the hot spot can turn into a dry skin issue. So we have to go to break. We're going to come back from break and talk about food. So stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, we're back on Animal Party, Pet Life Radio, with Dr. Jory Bachnick, all the way from Toronto. Morning, everybody. Yeah, and he's going to let us know, what do we need to know about food? Because I find it confusing, and I've been in this a long time. But, you know, the packaging, the labels, grain-free, mm-hmm. and then you look and it actually has grain right in it. Uh, all natural, and then it has preservatives, different makes, different types. Sometimes they're, you know, you hear on the news that blueberries are an antioxidant, and now the next year every dog food has it in it. I don't know what to do. What's the best way ask to shop your, for dog food? Ask your vet what they like, and they'll tell you. I mean, for me, the animal's body, even a human's body, is really good at taking out what it needs and leaving the rest. Where we run into trouble with some foods is because of the amount of calories and how palatable we make it. And so they start to get heavy. That's why a lot of the bags, when you read them and you feed according to the bag, they overfeed your dogs and they get, they, and they get heavy. And so one of the things that I'm always astonished is people will take advice from their groomer or they'll take advice from the person at the store. But for some reason, the veterinarian must have an ulterior motive for suggesting foods. And so – but what I try to tell people is – When I look at commercially available foods, I look to several companies specifically. And the reason I look to them is because of the amount, the breadth of research that they put into these products and the quality control that they maintain. And for an almost as important or even more so is if there's an issue, how quick they are to respond and get back to the person that they want to get, that has the issue with. And then you look at what you were talking about, all these other foods and labels, et cetera. Uh, Most of these companies use one of three main companies' research to formulate their foods. 
So they're, you know, taking the published research to produce their foods, changing it slightly. So instead of using something like ethoxyquin as a preservative, and people see ethoxyquin and it's a long name, don't know what it is, has to be bad. And so then they'll take that out and they'll use rosemary as right, a preservative. Okay. So now they'll say, oh, it's all natural. We can call it organic. And then they'll put a shiny blue, black, green label on it. And now it's a better product. But the problem right. is there's no, as you've seen, there is no oversight. So anyone can call it organic. Anyone can call it or natural. Anyone can call it holistic. But people are using those buzzwords as opposed to if you see Hills, Science Diet, Royal Canin, Purina Pro Plan. These are companies who've been out for decades whose job is to produce food of ultimately the highest quality that people can afford to produce the best possible results for their animals. And people will look at these foods and go, well, they're, it's big business, big corporation. We don't trust them. We like a company named X, which is small and local and feeds my dog because it's a wolf. But it's all marketing. And the company that's producing that food is using Purina's research to formulate it. So for me, when I look at foods, it's who makes it, what kind of history do they have, what kind of proof do they have that their food is nutritionally complete and balanced? And then what quality controls and longevity studies do they have to back it up? And that's, why, that's where I come from. For me, there is no better food than what you could make yourself. If you home cook your oh, food, or see now I was just about to say that, and I thought you would get upset with me. Hundred percent. When I when I but said, "What if I want to give my dog ground beef it, on top I'm of his put a big, I'm going to put a big <laughs> plug out there. There's a there's a a woman who started a company. Her name's Hillary's Bland is the name of the company. Go on their website. She is a board certified, I believe, veterinary dietitian and nutritionist who's got decades of work in the pet food industry. And she's put out a product, which is a supplement that marries to a variety of recipes that she's created, both cats and dogs, critical care, not kidney disease or not. And she's now got a website where you could actually input what is in your own cupboard, what you have, and then her website will then tell you how much of all the ingredients you've put in that you have to do, how to prepare them, and then how much of the supplement you need to add to make it nutritionally complete and balanced. And this is the hard part. Oh, it's, that's, yeah, exactly. It's getting the calcium carbonate. It's getting the trace minerals that will balance out your food because most home-cooked foods are incomplete and unbalanced. And don't even get me started on raw. <laughs> well, because yeah, I was going to ask you about that next, but if we could just go back a little bit. Sure. When I started, Science Diet was in all the veterinary clinics. That was what they carried on the shelves, or For Hill sure. Science Diet, yeah. Yep. And now it's Royal Canin. So uh, what happened? Because the way the market has changed, Hills was originally created by a veterinarian whose dog had kidney failure. And there was no food on the market. We knew what the problem with kidney disease was, but we had no way of feeding them. And cooking for the dog was very challenging. And so mm -hmm. they created this food, KD, kidney diet for their dogs. And that's where the motivation to start Hills prescription diets came from. The foods that they did were prescription diets for medical conditions. You look at the food industry, the vast majority of food that's sold and fed is not for medical conditions, but it's evolving. And having veterinarians recommending a product lends a certain amount of weight. So you've gone from Hills being the only provider, Purina got in, Royal Canin got in, and there's others. You've got Rain, which produces- Well, and then for, for years, Iams was one of the leaders, and they were very good about the recall, right? When there was the tainted food, and, the, and they were very good about being upfront about it and communicating mm -hmm. and recalling all their bags, which I get what you're saying. Sometimes you buy from small, unknown companies, and there is no news. There is no reporting. There, there is nothing. Well, so that was when, good. But, when you think um, about that company, Though, what happened the, to them? Did they get bought out by not really. Purina? What, 
I'm not really okay. sure, but what happened with the Ikunuba Iams Company is a very mm-hmm. interesting way of looking at what social media can do to food. Is you had a breeder of cats, Maine Coon cats in the Midwest, I think it's about 20 years ago, who posted online that ethoxiquin kills cats. And that was one of the main preservatives in uh. Ikunuba. And everyone freaked out. And they stopped buying it and to the point where the company actually had to take it off the shelf and reformulate it with a different preservative. Now wow. we know. Not only is it not the case, but ethoxyquin actually is a good method of preventing prostate cancer. But it's the difference between real hard data versus emotional social media data, but the effect that it can have on a food company or any company for that matter. But I would agree. Like, But when you look at the where food is sold, IAMS went from a high quality product to something that you can find that you would find anywhere. Because mm-hmm. now you find it in Canadian Tire, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's still a pretty good product at a very good price point for some people. And if that's the best you can afford, then that's what you can provide. But Especially if what. you, like you're saying, add things to it, right? Like, well, it, but it I mean, add an egg add. once in a while, add some yogurt, add some ground beef, right? But it, but it really depends why you're adding it. If there's enough protein mm-hmm. in that food, do you need to add more protein? And then it depends on the health of your animal. If your animal mm-hmm. is older and doesn't necessarily need more protein, why are you giving it? It makes us feel good. But does the animal necessarily need it? More often the case is not. I mean, if you look at our dogs, how many dogs do you see are fat versus fit? Oh, yeah. No question. Although I'm a little, you know, uh, living on the five acre fence facility here where the people send their dogs to get runs. You know, I have a lot of fit dogs coming here. But I do see, I mean, there's a Basset who comes whose belly trails on the ground. You know, I mean, (laughs) we all eat. You know, by adding things to their food, it makes them eat more. And if they're eating more, then the question is why? Most people do it because it makes us feel good. The marketing is not for the dog. The marketing is for us. It looks like stew, so it must be better. You know. Okay. Well, you know what? We're going to talk about this after the break. I do have to go to break. We're going to come back and talk about this. I totally agree with you. I mean, food coloring. If dogs don't see color and don't give a hoot what color their food is, why are they putting food coloring in the kibble? I get it. Like, what? You know? It makes no sense. Okay, so stay tuned. We're going to talk more about food, and I am going to ask Dr. Jory about raw food. Stay tuned on Animal Party Pet Life Radio. Do you have an accident-prone dog or cat? Well, if your dog or cat goes into the ER for an emergency, it's often unexpected and can be expensive. Well, here's something that can help. USO is a community-based cost-sharing health coverage plan for pets. Community is at the heart of USO, where members commit to help one another when their pets have unexpected health needs. USO isn't an insurance or a provider, but it's a platform that allows members to share expenses together safely and secretly. So what's part of USO's secret sauce? Complete transparency on where their users' money is going. USO members pay a flat subscription fee, $17 a month, plus a portion of shareable expenses. That flat subscription fee covers the use of the platform. And the monthly shareable expenses, which will never exceed $48 a month, will vary depending on how many expenses are submitted by the group that month. Save over 80% compared to traditional pet insurance by paying a flat subscription fee. For more information, go to USO.com. That's E-U-S-O-H dot com. Use promo code PETLIFE. And get your first two months free at uso.com, E-U-S-O-H dot com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. 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 <laughs> dot com. <laughs> 
Animal Party Pet Life Radio with Dr. Jory Bachnick from the Abbotsford Animal Clinic in Toronto, in Aurora, just north of Toronto. And he's been telling us about the different brands and what you need to know. And yeah, I see this. We've been talking about food coloring and also um, other things they do to make it more likable to humans that's really irrelevant to pet health. And so we really, you know, but how do we get through all this? Like, we pick the right brand. It's something we can afford, but you turn it over and you look at the ingredients. How do you not get sucked in? How do you know what your dog needs? Like you were just saying, don't give it extra protein if it's old. Don't give it. But you have people have resources that are available to them that are actually we're here for our patients. Like if you don't know, ask your vet. That's why we're here. We spend all this time learning about nutrition and wellness and whatnot. And so we are, in my opinion, the best possible resource because we want what's best for your animal. We see them when they're well and we want to keep them that way. And we don't want to see them when they're not well. And this is one of the things that I'm really shocked about is where people will go to for their information versus where I think they should go. And I think to that, let's look at the raw food craze. The raw food craze has evolved out of a social media emotive method. And the people who are feeding raw food aren't feeding it to be harmful to their animals. They're feeding it because they truly believe it is best for them. But when you look at the data, which is what veterinarians do, there's nothing that supports this whatsoever. And the only advantage, the only advantage that people will say, well, when I switch over to raw food, my dog's skin cleared up. Well, the reality likely is you removed an ingredient from the food that was irritating your dog, and now you're feeding it without that ingredient, and now they're doing better. But other than that, most raw foods, when they're tested, are incomplete and unbalanced, and we won't even get into the salmonella and E. coli problems that we see when they come into the clinic and they're sick, or the kids get it because it's not handled properly. For me, if people really want to be in control of their food, Prepare it yourself. And that's where this company, Hillary's Blend, comes in. I have no ties with them whatsoever, but she's a fantastic nutritionist. Well, I may contact her after the show and see if she wants to come on. I'd love to interview her. Yeah. Okay. So what about expiry dates? I had this situation where I had a standard poodle female, 45 pounds, about to give birth. I wanted to give her preventative flea meds, Mm -hmm. and it ended up being a total goose chase. She's had her puppies, all healthy, 10 pups. If you want to see them, go to Camp Good Dog on Facebook, and you can see them. Uh, You can also check out YouTube, Deb Wolf Pet Expert. I'll be posting some videos later. And also Deb Wolf uh, Pet Expert on Facebook. There'll be stuff there too. So I wanted to give her something to make sure that she's not going to have fleas. I don't want to hurt the unborn puppies. I start researching it and I get everything from this product's expired to this product never expires to all flea products expires, no flea products expires. Everything was going all over the place with me and I had to end up calling my own vet and then calling you and trying to piece it together with professionals because how's a regular person supposed to know if they can trust the expiry date on a vet product or if there isn't one, does that mean it doesn't expire? 
Dr. Joy? Dep- well, depending on the product, if there isn't an expiry date, and I know that with a, there's a product called Canine Advantix, it does not have an expiry date. It, it does not expire. But if your vet's carrying a product and it has an expiry date, then the day after that expiry date is over, then I would say you shouldn't use it, most likely because it won't do what you want it to do, as opposed to being harmful necessary. But then the harm comes from the fact that you think you've treated something with something that's not going to be providing the protection, and now you're not being mindful about what your dog could be getting into and so you could be creating a problem where one does need to exist if it's if it's expired you throw it out okay but now let's say you're on your you're in your cottage situation your camping trip situation you were talking about before and you're there and you got this something that would be perfect for the emergency you have but it's slightly expired is it better than nothing uh, that's a, it really, I think it's dependent on the product. Could it be better than nothing? Yes. But it re, I mean, it depends if it's an antibiotic, for instance, that's in a suspension that's expired, it could make your animal sick. If it's a flea product, then the likelihood is it's probably safe, but may not be effective. So is it better than nothing? Depends. How's that for not giving you a straight answer? Well, that's a good answer. Okay, so this time of year, we have lots of pollen in my neighborhood. And I'm sure around the world, there's lots of people out there with dogs with weepy eyes, seasonally Mm -hmm. weepy eyes. So the situation I see sometimes is it's not so bad, but then the dog rubs his eye and now it's a big deal. Now we got pink eye conjunctivitis. God only knows big sores and weepy, disgusting, gunk, green. It can get really icky. So I talked to you about it and you gave me some great suggestions. So I hope you'll share them with uh, with our listening well, audience today. One of, one of the, This time of year in our areas, we're dealing with a lot of tree pollens and pollen is all this particulate matter that's in the air and it gets into the dog's eyes and it stimulates an allergic response. Plus it's irritating in and of itself because it's a physical thing. So one of the simplest things you can do is from any pharmacy or drugstore is getting some eye rinse or saline and it comes in, there's a vast variety of them. They're not expensive. They come in a relatively large bottle and rinse your dog's eyes out. Now you've taking the cause of the problem away. Um, if they're rubbing their face, you got to go back to that cone to stop them from traumatizing because they can take what's a sterile, itchy problem and turn it into an infected, itchy problem. So it's, would that be something like natural tears? Is that the type natural of... Natural tears is one. Okay. I mean, <clears throat> you'll see things that are called eye wash or saline. Any of them are good. Anything. And, it, and if you're in a real pinch, tap water. If you want to be nice, warm it up a little bit. But if it's cool, it causes vasoconstriction. So it causes the blood vessels in the eyes to shrink, making them less irritated and swollen. So just a cold compress can help fresh from your own tap. You don't even have to buy anything, but just rinsing the face, rinsing the eyes will go a long way to getting rid of the issue. And, and I would suggest use a different cloth or wipe for each eye. Because if one's infected and you don't know it yet, you could spread it. You mean so, from between you and your dog, you don't share? No, no, between like his that? right and his left. I'm like, no, yeah. Oh, I saw in the Real Housewives of uh, one of New York City, I think it was the other day, the lady was brushing her dog and then she takes the brush and starts brushing her own hair. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> way to get everything from the dog part there into you your hairdo. That's there lovely. You go. Um, okay, so, yeah, so also, so say you have a dog that you, you know, you know every year, okay, it's cherry tree season, it's fruit tree season, the pollen, the cottonwood is thick on the ground. Here comes the eye infection. 
can I give her antihistamines? You can. The thing with allergies is it's not just a simple one cause and effect. It's not like you inhale a pollen grain and you have an immediate straight line to becoming really itchy. It's a cascade Mm -hmm. of several different chemical reactions. One of those is the histamine pathway. And that's why we take antihistamines. And in humans, the histamine pathway is pretty important. And subsequently taking them antihistamines makes us feel better. Now, the issue we all know is if one antihistamine was truly better than all the others, there would only be one. But if there's an entire aisle of them in every drugstore and every supermarket, and because what works for you doesn't work for me and makes somebody else sick. In the dog, the histamine pathway and the cat, for that matter, is relatively minor. And so in the early stages, it can be helpful. But if you are, have a profound allergy, then it may not be enough because it may there's just maybe too overwhelming a response for the antihistamines to be effective. And that's when you need to go to your vet to get stuff that will be much more potent to quell the reaction, to make the dogs comfortable so they're not going to itch, not going to create an infection. And you can be on these products. I generally like to start them a week or so before it's going to happen and keep them going till a week or so after it's done. And now that's gonna, that takes a while. That often sometimes takes one or two seasons to get a better handle on when the allergy season is for each individual animal. Or mm-hmm. you can utilize certain types of tests, either skin or blood tests to help define what you're allergic to and then treat during their pollinating seasons accordingly. But for the most part, if you can catch it early, so you're rinsing, getting antihistamines on board, at worst, you'll just shrink the period where your dog will be uncomfortable and the necessity of using more potent products will only be reduced. When I think about my blue healer, he has a thing for catching flies, right? He's real good at it. And he also likes to kill bees or, well, usually wasps, actually. Mm -hmm. But he gets stung. And so twice this year, I've had to give him, his dose should be a whole Benadryl, but I give him a half. It's enough. What's his his weight? He's about 50 pounds. He could easily, easily get 50 milligrams of Benadryl which is one extra strength regular tablet. And one of the things I want to mention before you give your dogs anything, I know you want to check with your veterinarian before you give them anything, but when I'm mentioning Benadryl, it's plain. It's not Benadryl sinus or Benadryl extra because there are Mm -hmm. other things that they'll sometimes put in these products that are very dangerous for our dogs. And this is why Mm -hmm. you have to check with your vet before you give your pets anything. But Benadryl, now Benadryl can be sedating and that may be what you don't like, but what may work for you is something like uh, reactant in the morning and a Benadryl at bedtime. So you get the antihistamines on board before your dog eats the bee, and then the response may not be as nearly as vigorous. Well, he's actually pretty good at it. So most of the time he doesn't get stung. He's only had two stings this year. So he, Don't he, say that out like, challenging the gods of worse. And the first day he got stung was the first day they came out and I got stung too. We were both sitting there looking at each other like, you dummy. Yeah. But <laughs> and, um, so we both took antihistamines that day. But I did find, I mean, I did call my vet originally to get the dose for the Benadryl. Mm-hmm. And he did tell me he could have a whole pill. But I decided to try a half to see if it was enough because you never know like the individual dog or cat right i've had dogs where it takes a lot to sedate them and i've had other dogs where a tiny amount and he's good for a whole you know afternoon so it really varies so i did give him a half and it worked so i wouldn't want to do more unless you know unless he seemed to need more kind of thing i, I don't know if that's something you recommend with people to to start slow with a new drug i or would recommend just, go i would recommend going by with what your vet says you give what the vet and says then, okay. and then and then adjusting the dose based on um, how the dog responds because okay. it, he may have responded well simply because his reaction wasn't going to be that good but he may have responded faster 
or right. he may have been zonked out all day and you were absolutely correct. So best, and, and with these kind of over-the-counter meds like this, they're all generally very safe. And so mm-hmm. if the worst case scenario is he's sleepy, but not scratching his face and he's not blowing up and swelling up, then that's not a bad thing to try. Okay. And the, the reason I was worried is because, you know, if the, if the sting is in the mouth, which it was, what if it stops him from breathing if it swells, right? Like, that's why I didn't wait for it to swell. And all of a sudden, he sounds like Darth Vader, and I got a real problem, exactly. you know? Um, so it's probably a good idea, would you say, for people to have a plain Benadryl with them if they have dogs on camping trips? I would, I would absolutely have, like, I have, there's a, you can have your same kind of emergency kit, like I have for people who go take their animals into the bush hunting or camping, mm-hmm. um, we take an emergency kit for yourselves, and I suggest an emergency kit for your dogs. I have one client whose dog is anaphylactic with bees, yes. and so I make syringes with steroid in them for just, just such an emergency, teach her how to use them properly, and... Um, because EpiPens are very challenging to get now. So I make sure she's got an inject, uh, a needle of epinephrine and a needle of steroid. That's part of her emergency kit for her dog. But you also want to but have But normally you'd need sort of what you need for a regular first aid kit, but a few extras, right? Like 100%. I, I would say maybe a magazine to use as a splint if you have a small dog or cat. Maybe a muzzle. Scissors, razor, because you got to shave, right? 100%. Think about what what are the likely common things that would happen. Lacerations are really common, and they hurt. So if you want to clean them, dog's not going to love it. So having a muzzle that you're – and you want to teach your dog to use the muzzle before you need it the first time is a really good thing. And then things that you can use to clean with and things that you can use to bandage with, but also knowing how to bandage the first time. Because the first time, if you've got your painful beagle, going back to your beagle, you know, and you've never tried to bandage it – You've never tried to put a muzzle on it, and now it's sore, and it's scared, and you have to do it for the first time. That's a tough. That's that's hard for me, and I know what I'm doing. You want to. The best thing to do is to be prepared before you go out. Is get your dog used to the muzzle. Get your dog used to having its foot bandaged, having its foot handled in the first place, so that mm-hmm. the first time you do it isn't a painful thing. They know you've done it. It's always been good in the past. Uh, you have treats for me, so I'll do my best to sit for you. But please don't hurt me too much because my foot already hurts a lot because my nail just got ripped out. Yeah, touch your puppies everywhere. Touch your dogs everywhere. If there's a spot they don't like to be touched, get them to like it because someday that might be the exact spot that needs treating at the vet. (laughs) So you don't want them to have like sensitive feet or the cat who says, you can't touch my tummy. That's ridiculous. You need to work on that. And it's easy to work on a little bit at a time with treats and praise and gentleness when he's not in a panic. Okay, so the other thing is St. John's Ambulance offers a great course. I took it years ago, and I try to put my staff through it. Great pet first aid course. takes only a weekend. They have pet models there, very cute ones. And uh, the whole thing is fun. And at the end of it, you know that you're the person at the dog park who can do something if all of a sudden someone slashes their foot open. I mean, you feel so much more confident. So that's a. I would suggest people check into that. If they're, if they're thinking maybe they're not prepared, then get prepared. It's really easy and it's fun to do, and it doesn't even cost very much at St. John Ambulance. Well, I think so, it's a great okay. idea. All right. So I think that's it for today, Dr. Dory. I'm going to let you go uh, put on your Raptors gear because I it's think coming. today's it's a coming. big Nine day. O'clock tonight. Nine o'clock tonight, uh, eight, six o'clock your time. You know, that actually leads into something. I went to three festivals this year already, and at each and every one, I saw unhappy dogs. Unhappy dogs. 
that probably like people, the people who brought them probably thought it was a good idea because it was in a park. (sighs) But they're getting stepped on over and over and over. They're getting fallen on. It's boiling hot. The shared communal water is full of diseases. Like, what are you doing? Leave your dog at home to these mob scenes. They really, really don't need this. 100%. I can't agree with you more. All you're asking for is trouble. So if your dog has a beautiful, cute little raptors outfit, take a picture, Snapchat it, Instagram it. Don't bring the dog to the event. Don't bring him to Jurassic Park. Do not (laughs) go raptors. Jurassic Park. He will get eaten by a raptor. Do not do it. It's just not fair. You want your animals to love people, not hate crowds. And that's not the way to do it. Okay, so everyone, thank you, Dr. Jory. Thank you. And uh, from Animal Party Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jory, and from me, Deb Wolf, be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.